Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, also has the truth about life and death. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome to Know Your Bible. Glad you're here this week and ready to study some Bible with us. Many of you are longtime viewers and know exactly what we do and why, but we always get a few new viewers, we think, each week. So let me explain what we do. Uh, we hope we help people know their Bible a little better, and the way we do that is just answer Bible questions or life questions. Any questions you've got that might have an answer in the Bible, we'll try to find you that answer. Uh, we got a phone number and a website on the screen throughout the program. You can use those anytime. Uh, leave us a question and uh, or log on to the website and uh, send us a question by email, and we'll be happy to try to answer it for you. Uh, we think that's a good way to study the Bible, just answer folks' questions and see if we can all know a little bit more about our Bible. So give us a call, log on, tell us what you want to uh, hear on the show, and you direct this program. I'm Steve Tandy, and I've got a couple of gentlemen that help me answer questions each week. Toby Levering's here in the middle. Hi, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're here, and Jeff Martin's back. Good morning, Good morning. Jeff. Glad you guys are ready to go here, uh, but our viewers always get the first one. So first question for our viewers, a little bit of Bible trivia. Uh, one Bible book was written to a slave owner. Interesting factoid there, so uh, we'll see if you know what that book of the Bible is at the end of the program. You got a 1 in 66 chance of guessing it, so <laughs> we'll see if you know at the end of the program. Looks like uh, Jeff gets started today. I've got the first one today. A viewer wants to know, what does double-tongued mean? Uh, and, and being double-tongued, biblically speaking, uh, is I think a better phrase for us now would probably be being two-faced. It's someone who says what's pleasing to the person who is right in front of them at the time uh, to make that person happy. And then as soon as that person goes away, uh, they say something completely different. Or maybe they, they tear that person down. It's a very divisive personality trait. Uh, it's, it's really another way of lying, but much more divisive. Uh, and of course, lying is something that God hates. We can see this phrase in 1 Timothy 3.8. Let's look at that together. Uh, it says, And deacons likewise should be dignified, not double-tongued. Uh, obviously, this is huge when it comes to someone who is going to lead a ministry in the church or be a servant and be, be interacting with a lot of people in the church. This would be very bad for them to be double-tongued, for them to be two-faced. This can cause all sorts of divisions and negative interactions within a church. So, and again, not just deacons, but no Christians uh, should, should be double-tongued. Um, it's also possible to do this to God. Uh, it's possible to offer uh, lip service to God on Sunday mornings and to go through the motions with your worship, with your singing, and then live a completely different life in speech and action the rest of the week. Uh, so this is something that we all need to avoid, but that is what the Bible means by the phrase double-tongued. All right, if somebody talks out of both sides of their mouth. That's right. I think I heard that one time, uh -huh. too. Got to be double-tongued to do that. 
Yeah, you have to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Somebody's worried about Genesis 6, so which gives a lot of people into ammunition to discuss and talk about. Genesis 6, who are the sons of God who married humans? All right. Well, some of you know exactly where that's uh, headed and what that story is, but let's just read the passage, make sure we know what our viewer is talking about. So let's go to uh, Genesis chapter 6, first couple of verses, and the story, this is right before the flood. It says, when man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. All right, only two options for what this means. Uh, one option, and it's a popular uh, theory among some folks that write novels and things. Uh, one theory is that the sons of God are actually the angels that had been cast out of heaven, uh, the bad angels, uh, demons. And they saw that human women were attractive, and so they married them and procreated and created a race of half-human, half-angelic beings. Uh, that's one possibility. The other possibility is that since this had happened fairly soon after uh, Cain had killed Abel, and the descendants of Cain tended to be evil and the descendants of Seth tended to be God-fearing folk, uh, that Bible's referring to the sons of God and the sons of Cain, uh, the, the two different groups. Uh, so the good people and the bad people. And maybe this verse is saying that uh, uh, Seth's descendants married Cain's descendants. And that created a problem because of the intermarriage of good and evil. So those are the two options. It's either angelic beings, fallen angels, marrying humans and uh, having children, or it's uh, Cain's descendants marrying Seth's descendants. Uh, either way, it caused problems on the earth, obviously, and pretty soon God decided to destroy things with a flood. Uh, the problem with the angelic beings... Uh, marrying humans is that we've got no indication in the Bible that angelic beings can procreate. Uh, in fact, Jesus said that angels don't marry. They don't seem to have a gender from what we can tell. Uh, so we don't think they can procreate. So that's the only drawback to that theory. So Bottom line, I, I don't know particularly. I personally don't think it was angelic beings, but uh, bottom line, when you get right down to it, it really doesn't affect a whole lot. Uh, that happened. It was before the flood. It doesn't happen anymore. Uh, so it's kind of a waste of time to worry too much about trying to figure it out. Uh, that's one of those things we were talking last week about our list of questions when we get to heaven. We can put that on the list, and uh, God will clear it up for us and eventually let us know for sure. But two options, and we don't know which one for sure. 
All right, the next question involves just a few verses ahead of what, where your question was centered on. The question is, how do you explain God drowning innocent babies during the flood? And you are right. When you, uh, it's kind of ironic. You'll see a lot of baby nurseries. Parents will, will put Noah's Ark and uh, the animals two by two walking into the ark, uh, not fully realizing the culmination of that story was a worldwide flood, and everybody that wasn't in the ark would have drowned, uh, including, as the, as the viewer astutely observes, babies, young children, would have been a terrible, awful thing. It's really hard to, when you really think about what happened in the flood, uh, how terrible of a thing it was. Well, the scripture tells us why God would inflict such a terrible thing, and the clue is found in verse 5 of Genesis 6. So let's look there. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. In fact, uh, uh, translation I'm reading says that the Lord was troubled because of the wickedness, uh, that the earth was corrupt and full of violence. So it was bad, and probably so bad that we can't even fully imagine. We can think of, you know, we can look around, watch the news, see things on our, our news apps, and we just shake our head and think, man, the, what is the world coming to? I, I think it pales in comparison to what it was then. So to answer your question, how could God drown babies and children? How could God allow that to happen? Why would God inflict such a thing? Well, this is a, not a perfect comparison I give you, but you ever seen a uh, maybe a story that you've seen on TV where uh, they find a house, maybe it's infested with cockroaches full of squalor and filth, uh, parents are neglectful, uh, there's drugs and all sorts of things going on in that home, and then the worst part of it is you see children that are in that situation, and babies that haven't been changed in days, and children that haven't been fed, and things like that, and obviously when you see something like that, you think, my goodness, the best thing for those kids is to get them out of this terrible situation and put them in a new home. Well, I think that to a very large degree in, in ways we don't fully understand is exactly what happened to the children and babies that drowned in the flood. God took them out of a very awful world full of evil, wickedness, corruption, abuse, and all sorts of things that I just don't even want to think about. And God, through the flood, took them out of that evil, wicked, corrupt world and brought them into a far better home. That's kind of how I think about it. In the flood, we see the perfect justice and mercy of God, not just in thinking about that, but also in thinking about what he did for the human race. Let's look at Second Peter chapter 2, verse 5. It says this, If he, God, did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood, a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So yes, God brought judgment to the evil and the wickedness and the depravity of that world, but he also <coughs> showed mercy when he spared Noah and his family. And he, you know, the scripture says, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That's my explanation of it. We can, we can just fully know and believe that God is perfectly just and perfectly merciful when he sent the flood. He did exactly the right thing and took care of all of the details that you and I may wonder about. I hope that helps.
All right, let me make you a free offer. And I know if you're a first-time viewer that's watched a lot of religious TV, uh, that makes you nervous when you hear about a free offer because you, you probably get on a mailing list, you probably get asked for money, all kinds of things like that happen uh, when you answer a free offer on most religious TV programs. On this one, we never ask for money. Uh, we never put you on a mailing list. But we do have a really, truly free offer, and that's a way to study the Bible uh, that we know a lot of our viewers are hardcore Bible students, and a lot of them are just getting started. So we've got some ways to help, some tools that we'll send you. Uh, here's a set of lessons. There are eight in it, and they start with the Old Testament and the New Testament. First two lessons help you understand those two big divisions and then give you some other information about the Bible, great Bible study. And once you get through that and graduate this one, you can go on to some other courses. We pay the postage both ways and help you study the Bible for quite a while with Know Your Bible Study Tools. If you'd rather do things online than on paper, here's a good way to do it. Just log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org. Uh, they'll ask you a few questions and get you set up where... Uh, you start getting Bible lessons on your phone or tablet or PC, and uh, you can answer the questions and study and send it back and get another one. A great way to study the Bible digitally. So we've got all those options. Use a phone number or website on the screen to uh, request the courses. And we'd be happy to get them started for you. All right, Jeffrey. All right. I've got one that's probably controversial these days. Uh, shouldn't be controversial for Christians, but let's see what the Bible says. A viewer wants to know, does a fetus have a soul? Uh, so let's start off first, just biologically speaking. If, if we look at where human life begins, it makes sense that it begins at conception. And these are simple things, but we have a mother's egg, we have a father's sperm, and we put those two things together, and it creates a unique thing. It creates a strand of DNA, which is everything that a living child, uh, even in the womb, needs to be a human. Another way of putting this is... There is no more genetic material uh, that is required to make a, a living child within a womb more human. It has everything it needs. The only difference is its dependence on its mother for survival. Um, usually when we're asking questions about the fetus, it's attached to abortion. Uh, and when a mother uh, aborts a pregnancy, that's a unique and distinctly human life that was created by God that is destroyed. And many people right now are trying to convolute this or complicate this or make it different than it obviously is. But when we put the Bible together and with, with biology, uh, there's only one answer that we come up with. So since it is a distinct and unique human life that is created by God, and because the creation of life and life itself are very sacred according to the Bible, we know that that human life has a soul. Let's look at Psalm 119, verse 13 to understand this biblically. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So based on that, based on what we know from biology, based on common sense, based on a lot of different things, we know that a fetus absolutely does have a soul. All right, if you're wondering about the Churches of Christ, the 
group that presents this program for you and produces it. Uh, why does the Church of Christ call itself non-denominational? Well, uh, a couple of reasons. We call ourselves non-denominational. Uh, number one, we believe we are non-denominational. And second, we, we want to be non-denominational. Now, there are a lot of churches today that advertise themselves as non-denominational. Uh, but if you look at their creeds and statements of faith, uh, they are actually a part of a bigger denomination. Uh, they've just changed the name on the sign and claim to be non-denominational. Uh, if you investigate Churches of Christ, you can't find any headquarters. Uh, each congregation is autonomous or self-governing. Uh, we don't have a standard statement of faith other than the New Testament. Uh, so we believe in many ways we are non-denominational. I think the best way to explain it is what's denominational mean? Uh, denominate means to name something, to de nominate, to separate it by naming it. Uh, for instance, if I took my wallet out, I've got a number of denominations of bills. I've probably got some ones and some fives. Or might even have a ten in there. I don't know. But uh, you look at those bills and they are named differently. A one is different than a ten. Uh, it is denominated. Okay. So <clears throat> when we talk about Christianity, the Christian religion, uh, once there was just one church. You, know, you read the New Testament, that's all you can find is one church. And then over the centuries, uh, people began to disagree with each other and say, well, I don't agree with you on that, so I'm going to denominate myself. I'm going to name myself different, and I'm going to be this brand of Christian, and you can be that brand of Christian. Well, that's obviously not what God wanted. He wanted unity. Uh, he didn't want a bunch of denominations, but that's what we've got in Christianity. So, Churches of Christ, we try not to denominate ourselves. Uh, and some people say, well, you've got a name. You call yourself Churches of Christ, and that's on your buildings and all of that. Uh, well, yeah, you've got to identify yourself some way. Uh, but even that is a good example of the way we try to think about the Bible. Uh, we think the only way to be truly one in Christ is just do what the New Testament says. Now, don't come up with man-made creeds or uh, headquarters or anything else. Just do what the Bible says. And so when it came time to decide what to call uh, the churches of Christ, uh, we looked in the Bible and saw what the church was called back then. And let's just look at one place we find that in Romans chapter 16, uh, verse 16. Paul's writing to the church in Rome, and he's saying hello from all the people that he knows. And then at the end, he says, and all the churches of Christ greet you. All the churches that Paul was associated with belong to Christ, and so that's what he called them. All the churches of Christ salute you. Uh, so... We think that's a pretty good non-denominational name. But uh, why do we call ourselves non-denominational? We want to be, and we believe we are. Okay. A question about the 12 tribes of Israel. Who are the 12 
tribes of Israel today. The 12 tribes, of course, are is uh, how the nation of Israel was divided up and when they were at a time where they were all united as one kingdom and then they were split into the northern where there the two tribes and then the southern part with the ten tribes. And, of course, if you read Bible history, you know that they were taken into captivity uh, by both the Babylonians and then uh, the Assyrians and then the Babylonians. And uh, in the process of being taken captive, um, those tribes, some of the people intermarried with the people that took them captive. Some of them stayed put. Some of them moved back. Uh, they tried to reestablish and return, but uh, certainly much of the geneolo- genealogical record was lost uh, when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem in 70 A.D. So the answer about who they are and where they are today is we really don't know. Now, you can go down the wormhole on Google and try and look at all sorts of theories and speculation about who the tribes are, where they are located today. But without the genealogical record, it really is just speculation at best. Of course, God would know who the, the, the those people are, the descendants and, and so forth. But it really, now that we're in the new covenant under Christ, it doesn't matter like it used to under the old covenant. Under that old system, you had to be able to tie your your lineage and your heritage and the proof that you are a recipient of the promise all the way back to Father Abraham. But now we in Christ are of Abraham's seed. And so be it Jew, Gentile, no matter who you are, the important thing is that you're in Christ. And so let's look at... Uh, Galatians chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. For neither circumcision, which was a sign of your, your Jewish heritage, uh, n- nor accounts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. We in Christ, uh, the body of Christ, the church, are the is the spiritual Israel of God, with a, a heritage and a lineage that traces to the blood of Christ. And so we don't know the answer to the question, and those who try to give you an answer for sure uh, are speculating at best. Hope that helps. Okay, time to thank some of our sponsors on this program. Uh, this program is produced by the Churches of Christ. Uh, kept on the air by Churches of Christ, and we like to mention some each week. Today, let me mention a couple in uh, western Kansas, northern Kansas, Agra and Mead, uh, both communities that have congregations of the Churches of Christ meeting, and uh, they are both supporters of the Know Your Bible program, have been for a long time, and helped us stay on the air, and we appreciate them you live in one of those rural communities, uh, you very likely know somebody that attends the Church of Christ. Uh, mention to them that you watch the program, that you see that they sponsor it. Thank them for keeping us on the air. Uh, whatever market you live in, uh, South Dakota, or Illinois, Iowa, Missouri, wherever, uh, there's probably a Church of Christ close to you. Uh, drop in and visit them sometime. Tell them thanks for this program. Glad uh, glad that they are part of the team. Uh, all right, Jeff's got one, and every once in a while, Jeff, I'll start the program by saying if you got a life question, not about a Bible verse, but a life right. question, here's a viewer that's got a life question. This is absolutely. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're asking, is it wrong to give up on a family member who is constantly in trouble 
and won't change his ways. And I'm guessing because the viewer used the, the word his, that this is a, a, a very personal question. And in order to answer that question to the best of my ability, I would have to know what was going on and also uh, specifically what the viewer meant by give up on. But I think I can give you some, some sound biblical advice to help you as you go through this. And this is a common thing, especially uh, with Christians. First of all, as far as forgiving the family member, the, the Bible is very clear on what we should do uh, as far as forgiveness. We should forgive them um, for anything. Uh, Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So if we are supposed to forgive like Christ, that means that we forgive over and over, uh, even when someone continues to sin against us and continues to offend us. Uh, that being said, uh, after you forgive, there's some actions that might be wise to take in order to help that person. Um, sometimes there are people who continue to sin against us and even drag us down. Uh, they, they decrease the quality of our life in great ways because of their sin. And sometimes the most loving thing that we can do is disassociate with that person in the hopes that they will turn from their sin and come towards Christ and start following God. Uh, if, some, if someone is sinning over and over and over again and we are allowing that to happen, at some point uh, we end up enabling that sin, which is not a biblical thing. And, and if we read the Bible, we know that sometimes to love someone means to rebuke them. Sometimes to love someone means to tell them a hard truth. Uh, so I think it depends on the situation. Every situation is different. Uh, but if you have a family member that you love who is toxic and they are dragging other family members down because of that and they're getting into the same dangerous sin over and over, uh, then a wise and loving thing to do could be to remove yourself from their lives and tell them that they need to go get some help. Again, with the hopes of them eventually turning toward God. Okay, thank you, Jeff. And I appreciate you pointing out there that... Uh, getting a question like that on air we can't answer it right uh, we don't know the details and all that we can't say yes go ahead or no yes. don't no i wouldn't yes <laughs> so so we always recommend a good bible-based counselor therapist uh, somebody that can listen to your story and help you work through it and uh, help you figure out the right thing to do but uh, absolutely we're, right. we're not uh, not the authority on those kind of things without both sides of the story at least all right let me squeeze one more in here if you wants to know what is a proverb uh, let's just read a proverb and see if we can figure it out proverbs 15 1 said a gentle answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger all right that's a short saying uh, and if I ask you, is that always true? You'd say well no not always true sometimes you give a gentle answer and somebody's still is pretty harsh. So a proverb is a short saying that's generally true. Uh, it's Most of the time it works. It's not a guarantee, but 
That's a general idea. Uh, a lot of Proverbs come from uh, poor Richard, Ben Franklin, instead of the, the book of Proverbs. He wrote a lot of Proverbs. Penny saved is a penny earned, and things like that are Proverbs. So that's what they are. Let's answer our trivia question for the day. And it was about which Bible book was written to a slave owner. And if you guessed Philemon, you got the right one. Philemon was a slave owner. Uh, his slave Onesimus had run away, and Paul was counseling him to take Onesimus back. So interesting little book. Glad you've been with us today, and hope you come back next week as we answer some more of your questions. Till then, have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.